When you talk about Jesus, if Savior is not front and center, you can talk about his miracles, you can talk about his life, you can talk about things that he said, you can talk about, you know, the narratives that he gave, I mean, the, talk, the sermons and all that kind of stuff. But Savior is the core reason why he came. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author Crawford Loretz. Great to be with you at the beginning of this Christmas week. In our last visit, we learned that Jesus Christ's ultimate accomplishment was not to be the creator or sustainer, but to be our Savior. Crawford will develop that further today in the second message in his Christmas series, Our King. If you're new to us, Crawford has served in teaching, mentoring, and pastoral roles for over 48 years. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Unshaken, and A Passionate Commitment. Today, Crawford serves as president of Beyond Our Generation, a leadership mentoring ministry. Well, we hope you'll spend the next 23 minutes with us as Crawford develops four primary ways in which the term Savior is defined. We'll be working our way through several passages today, but we'll start off in Luke chapter 2. Let's jump right in. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. You ever have a sense of lostness? You ever have this feeling as if somehow or another, at this point in my life, I can't see the shore? You ever, you ever feel overwhelmed? You, you ever have this nagging sense that the best I can do with my guilt is manage it, but I can't get rid of it? It kind of like goes away sometimes, and then it comes back and visits me. You ever have this sense that, that no matter how hard I try, I, I can't get to where I need to be, but I can't explain where I need to be. And the message is that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we try to do, no matter how we try to navigate life, no matter what coping mechanisms we buy into, no matter what we do, those things never, ever, ever are quite good enough to bring wholeness to our lives. And what I just described to you from a relational perspective, from an experiential perspective, really is the theological reason why Jesus came. So when we talk about a savior, we're not talking about some altruistic other idea that doesn't relate to me. The idea of savior is profoundly personal profoundly personal. It has everything to do with the answer to the human predicament. Everything. There is no fulfilling life, ultimately fulfilling life, until there's the experience of knowing the Savior. There is no wholeness without experiencing Him. Now, the word Savior, and let me just say this, is it comes from the Greek word, uh, soter, and it, it really means one who saves from any degree of evil. It implies deliverance or rescue from destruction. Savior is both Jesus' title and what he does. So when you read the announcement in Luke chapter 2, it's more than just a warm story. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, when you read the statement, that unto us is born this day in the city of David 
a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You're reading about the deliverance of all of humanity. The solution has come into the world. So I want to say four things today, and I'll make comments on it, and I'll be done. When you say that Jesus is Savior, what, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that salvation, number one, is the mission and the identity of Jesus. Secondly, salvation is the motivation of Jesus. Thirdly, salvation is the exclusive message of Jesus, and I'll explain that. And then fourthly, which really is the book into all of this, is that salvation is the universal offer of Jesus to the world. Well, first of all, salvation, number one, is the mission and the identity of Jesus. Now, let's go back to that text. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, 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 now I want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention to what he says next. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Many people have called themselves deliverers. But here, the angel announces, no, 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 I need to differentiate something here. Now, this is, this is the Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God did not send a soldier. He did not send a judge. He didn't send a reformer to meet our needs. He sent a Savior. Because he understood our need was not for more education, as important as education is. Our need was not for personal reformation, although changing bad habits and being a different person, rebranding yourself may not be a bad thing. But he sent us a savior. He sent the one to speak to our fundamental heart need. A savior, a savior. Christ the Lord, getting back to that modifier there, Christ the Lord, what, what's important about that? It, it, means, it means the same thing as Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one of God. Christos means the anointed one of God. Meaning, meaning that God himself came down to solve our lostness. This is your solution. I'm not sending you a mere man. I'm not sending you another prophet. I'm not sending you a bundle of good ideas. I'm not sending you a, a bunch of positive next steps. I'm not sending you some grand motivational speaker that help you feel better about your situation. No, you need a savior, and you need a perfect savior. A lamb without spot or wrinkle, and one who has the power to save. So that is his identity. But his mission is tied up to his identity. He, he is our Savior. And what does the Savior do? In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, you don't add Jesus to your life. You don't add Jesus to your direction in which you want to go. Jesus is not someone that helps you to be a better version of you where you can selectively apply what he has to offer you when you pick and choose. That's the reason why, that's the reason why, you know, proud people, pride does not allow you to come to the Savior. 
You, you got to get to a place in your heart and life where you realize, uh, Uncle, uh, I, I help. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I feel it. And that's the reason why lostness is a gift. I, I feel it. I can't solve this problem. I can't make my way out of this. I, I can't cleanse myself. I can't get rid of this guilt. And that's the reason why God turns up the heat in our lives, to humble us, to realize that I, 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 can't, see, I can't see shore, and this undercurrent is pulling me out. If somebody doesn't come to get me, I'm done. But notice the passion behind the statement, I came to seek and to save. It's, 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 it's as if Jesus is saying, I'm looking for the lost and I'm yearning to save them. No, 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 guilt is not a, a good thing if it keeps you from the solution. But guilt is a gift if it drives you to the solution. That's why he came. That's his mission. To seek and to save that which is lost. By the way, you just need to understand that Jesus is not the messenger. Jesus is the message. Secondly, salvation is the motivation of Jesus. Salvation is what drives Jesus. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul captures this in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Now listen to these words. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The Apostle Paul capturing the motivation of Jesus. Basically what he's saying is this, God through Christ, his disposition toward us is that of mercy and grace. He, he, he's, it's not one of judgment. Oh, he disciplines us for doing things wrong. And for those of us who aren't believers, there is a sense of judgment when we do things that we should not do, but ultimately, that's all driven by his mercy and by his grace. Now, the expression saved us according to his mercy, mercy. Now, let me differentiate between these two words. When it says that he saved us according to his mercy, What is meant by this is that not only were we not deserving, we deserve eternal separation from God. Let me explain this, okay? This is not, this is not PC stuff here, right? Look, look. There's not a person born that deserves to be in heaven. Not one. We were born in sin. We're sinners by identity. And, and not just by practice. See, God's standards are not relative. They're not on a curve. That's the reason why he had to send his son and not choose another great, wonderful, good prophet or good individual to be the sacrifice of our sin. He had to send someone that was perfect to die for our sin. 
So hear me, hear me on this. When people go to hell, it's because they deserve to be in hell. Now don't hear me say, are they, are they, morally speaking, are they better than a rapist? Yeah. Are they better than someone who killed? Yeah. Are they better than, than a pathological lie? Yeah, they're better than that. But do they perfectly measure up to God's standard? No. And that's the reason why we all need mercy. We all need mercy. Again, this is the reason why God allows us to feel our lostness, because if we don't feel our lostness, we can't be found. Now, here's the difference between mercy and grace, and I hear sometimes Christians, we, we do use them interchangeably, but there's a significant difference. Mercy simply means not getting what we deserve. I deserve this, but I'm not getting what I deserve. Now, however, hear me, this is a distinction. Grace means getting more than we deserve. His favor in place of condemnation. That's grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, here you're drowning. This would be mercy. You're drowning and somebody goes in and snatches you and just leaves your waterlogged carcass on the sand. That's mercy. But at least you ain't drowning. That's mercy. Our salvation does not stop with God says, okay, look, I've been merciful to you. You're going to be in heaven. Don't ask me for anything else. No, what happens is he delivers me from our sin. He says, no, I'm sponging your record. And not only that, I'm, I'm going to treat you like my son. I'm giving you an inheritance. You're my daughter. You're my son. You have everything. That's grace. That's the motivation of salvation. Thirdly, salvation is the singular message of Jesus. It's an exclusive message. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter made an extraordinary statement. And there is salvation in no one else, universal negative, for there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see how restrictive and focused he is in this description? You hear what he's saying? You can't be saved apart from the name of Jesus. I could get into this, but I don't have a whole lot of time for this. And, and it's because, it's not because Jesus is, is, is out of hand being boastful about himself. And remember, who is that Savior? Remember? Remember what the angel said? Until he was born to say a Savior? And the reason why he said, who is Christ the Lord? Was because of the exclusionary nature of where salvation comes from. No one else has ever died on the cross as a substitute for man's sin and rose again on the third day. And that's the reason why Jesus is the exclusionary source. You see, Jesus has the patent on salvation. Jesus owns exclusive rights to salvation. You're not going to get it anyplace else. Go ahead and try. So what does all this mean? Well, salvation is the motivation and identity of Jesus. Salvation 
I mean, salvation is a mission and identity of Jesus. Salvation is motivation of Jesus. Salvation is exclusive message of Jesus. But putting this all together, this drives us to the point that really salvation is the universal offer of Jesus. Now, I do need to say this, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, but I do need to say this, because about every 10, 15, 20 years, there is a, there's a false teaching, a heresy that, that will show itself in various forms, and they call it universalism. Now, it, 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 it's in various forms, but basically what universalism teaches is this, that because Jesus has already died on the cross for the sins of the world, uh, we don't need to tell people to turn from their sins. We don't need to even tell them to believe. All we need to do is announce to them that Jesus has already died for your sins and you will be in heaven. Well, unfortunately, that's not true. And so when we talk about the universal offer of salvation, thus the word offer, salvation must be received, which, which implies repentance and belief. You've got to turn from your sin to experience salvation. And that's what the Bible teaches about salvation. Salvation only comes to those who respond. It only comes to those who respond, those who turn to him. And I, I say that this, uh, this universal offer can be seen in three, three avenues. Number one, number one, Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world in the sense that he, he offers this salvation to the world. John chapter 4, verse 42, backstory of the verse here. This is, this is the thing story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus, uh, is, he actually seeks out this woman seeking and saving that which was lost. He goes to Samaria, and uh, this, this uh, lady comes at the well, and they have this conversation. And Jesus reveals who he is, and she, she surrenders her life to Jesus rushes back to the village and says, I need to tell you about a man that told me everything. And her life has changed. And the villagers hear the great news. And in verse 42, they, they, they all say, for we have heard ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This is terribly important because Christianity, Jesus is not just the savior of those who identify themselves culturally as Christians. What this implies is that all other people in the world and all other religions in the world do not have legitimate, authentic means of salvation but that Jesus, who owns exclusive rights to salvation, is the savior of the entire world. It doesn't mean that everyone again will be saved, but that his light shines for all. The offer of salvation is extended to the entire world. Now, not only is he the savior of the world, but secondly, he's the savior of all people. You say, well, what's the difference there? There is a shade of difference here in the sense that this, what I mean by this, of all people, and, and more importantly, what the, what the New Testament means by all people, there's the ethnic component of his offer of salvation. Have you ever stopped to consider, you need to read, read the Gospels and read through the book of Acts and read the epistles, and you'll discover the intentional inclusiveness of all ethnicities when it comes to the offer of the gospel. 
1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul underscores this when he says, for we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people. People. He doesn't say of all, wor- of all the world, but all people, delineating that. And the, the vision there in, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, the vision of heaven. And, and notice, notice, notice the description there of what John sees in heaven. He says, he says in verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing around the throne and before the Lamb. This multi-ethnic appeal is core to the gospel, core to salvation. And I just, bottom line is, I think what, what was meant by this is that they, God is saying that, 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 that the offer of salvation is not bigoted, it's not hypocritical, and it's not proud. No one is excluded. No one should be marginalized. No one should be bypassed. The glories of this great salvation. Then thirdly, <laughs> he's the savior of the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, uh, we don't typically, we, typically this text talks about the relationship between husband and wife and marriage, this kind of thing. It's easy to skip over what is said in verse 23. Verse 23 says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. I want to suggest to you that the Bible teaches that the primary focus of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the primary focus of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is our great salvation. And if I understand the New Testament correctly, if if Jesus is seeking and saving the lost, that means that he's seeking and saving the lost through his body, the church. Greater things than these shall you do because I go to the Father. And any church that does not have the cross as central and is not proclaiming the glories and the hope of salvation and extending the offer of salvation to a broken world, it will become a dysfunctional church. That's who we are. So, Luke chapter 2, verse 11, when the angel announces, unto you is born this day, In the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Crawford Lorenz here on Living a Legacy. Salvation is the mission and identity of Jesus. It's the motivation of Jesus. It's the exclusive message of Jesus. And salvation is the universal offer of Jesus. The four key points in today's message titled, Our Savior. Well, next week, Crawford concludes his Christmas series, Our King. We'll be looking at our conquering king. We hope these messages have been helpful in highlighting the truly remarkable Savior we can know personally. Take a moment to get in touch with us. Connect through our website, livingalegacy.org. Look for the contact link. And to hear today's message again, look for the past programs link at livingalegacy.org. And from all of us here at Living a Legacy, may you discover anew the wonders of God's love this Christmas. 
For Crawford Loretz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.